In this episode, we're talking about that dynamic that exists between those that do the research and those that do the teaching. So many times, they're not one and the same. So what can teachers offer to researchers and what can researchers offer to teachers so that we have a really effective and useful dynamic of working together for really great language teaching? So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and as always, I so much thank you for being here uh, each week to listen and engage and use this as an opportunity to be introspective about your teaching. It's what makes you so awesome for your students, and they are so lucky to have you. So thank you for being here each week to do that. Before we jump into our topic, take a second, please, just do me a little favor, take a second, look down at your phone at the app that you're on and make sure that you've clicked subscribe or follow, whatever it's asking you to do, to make sure that every Monday when a podcast comes out that you have it downloaded directly to your phone and you can dive right in each week. So our topic today is looking at sort of the role of the teacher and the researcher. And you have a lot of research out there about language acquisition, and then you have teachers that are teaching language in the classroom. And most of the time, I would say they are not one in the same. So those doing the research that have to devote the time and energy and expertise to doing research are not necessarily the ones that are then using it in the classroom with students. And then teachers, we all know that as our teacher lives, in our teacher lives, that we don't necessarily have the time to do longitudinal research studies. So because we end up not being one in the same, we have to find the best way to sort of support each other and use the information either that researchers get from teachers or teachers get from researchers so that we can continue to have a great working relationship that's productive for everyone, including our students. So I was doing a workshop recently um, back in person, which is one of the first ones in almost a year and a half, which was really wonderful. Now the world's opening up just a little bit, very all masked and we were socially distanced, so it was very safe. Uh, But in this workshop, we talked a bit about the role of research and that really got me thinking about it because there were there were a lot of questions about, you know, the the individual teacher in the classroom and how applicable is research that's done with a very controlled group of students and how how much is that going to be useful in the classroom if it doesn't look exactly the same so it just so happened that as I was pondering this, you know, we had a good discussion in the workshop, 
But then after, you know, I've been thinking about it the last couple of weeks. And recently, I heard an interview on another podcast that really talked about this. And the reason I was listening, um, it's actually a, a podcast I listen to all the time. It's the Motivated, uh, Motivated Classroom podcast with Liam Printer. And he had on uh, one of my new language teacher heroes out there, who is Dr. Florencia Henshaw. And she is an instructor and program director at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And I've come across her. I first I saw her on Twitter, but she has a YouTube channel where she looks at research studies and then talks about them in useful teacher language. So her YouTube channel is called Unpacking Language Pedagogy. And... I've watched so many of her videos because she really gets into the research, but in a way that makes sense for teachers. So when she was a guest on this podcast, I said I had to listen to this to see what she was going to say about language teaching methodology and what research says. And basically, she gave some really good advice to both sides of the research and the teacher dilemma. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I will. I'll call it a dilemma. Not only is this some good advice I'm going to share and then I'm going to uh, move on to some fundamentals about language teaching, but uh, she also mentioned that she is about to publish a book uh, along with Maris Hawkins, who's a Spanish teacher as well, and their book is called Common Ground, Second Language Acquisition Theory Goes to the Classroom. And it really speaks to this whole idea of the research and the teacher and finding a common ground to understand each other. So I'm looking forward to that coming out. Um, hopefully it'll be out really soon. It seems every time I listen to a podcast now, I'm like going onto Amazon and ordering ordering books. They're coming in the mail every day. So what she was pointing out is that when it comes to second language researchers and teachers, that researchers should not dismiss teachers' experience and insights but also teachers should not dismiss the research. So the, the fact is that teachers are using it in the classroom with a group of students that's not necessarily the control group. And when you have a control group, it's not necessarily going to reflect the students that are in a classroom. So there needs to be an understanding and a respect on both sides for it to be useful. And so researchers essentially need to keep in mind the reality of the classroom. And so what often happens is that teachers will read an article or hear something on a podcast and they'll think, oh, my learners are very different than the people that they used in that research study. So this isn't useful for me. It's not going to apply to me uh, because my students are fill in the blank. Could be absolutely anything just different than the students that were used in the study. So that becomes really challenging for teachers to embrace any sort of research. And then on the other side, researchers, they if they have very controlled groups of students, 
then they're not providing data and insights that are going to be useful for the classroom teacher. So that teacher context is so important. You know, what you teach, where you teach, how long you've been teaching, how you were taught to teach language, how you originally learned your languages that you might teach. So there's a lot that goes into it where we can easily dismiss research and there's opportunity for researchers to not really be able to create an authentic classroom, genuine, genuine, I would say, or authentic classroom experience when they're doing research studies. So how do we bridge that gap? First off, we have to recognize that it's there. So we can't just say, oh, the research says you need to do this because your classroom may look very different and you know your students better than anyone and you're going to know sort of what's going to work and what's not. But, and this is one of the things I absolutely loved that uh, Dr. Henshaw said, is that research gives us clues to help us reflect on our teaching. So it's not necessarily, here's the absolute that we came up with, and this is the way it needs to be done, but it's a, it's a clue to make us think more about our teaching, to maybe tweak something a little bit, do something a little, diff- more, a little differently, but we have to look at sort of the bigger picture, you know? So like, how does that insight from the research How can I use that in my classroom, but not necessarily doing it exactly that way? Because again, I don't have that that control group that was used in the study in my classroom. And on the flip side, researchers need to realize that what they come up with is not necessarily going to be applicable to every group of learners or even individuals. So... I think what ends up happening with these clues that we put out there in the research for teachers to use is this opportunity to really reflect on our teaching and our beliefs about teaching. And we have some really deeply held beliefs about how language works, the way textbooks have said it for so many years, the way education programs have worked for so many years, the way we were all taught languages in school going back like 20 or 30 years. So the current research is an opportunity, if nothing else, to reflect on those really deeply held beliefs that we have. So teachers, I don't think it's a I, I would I'm gonna say more than I don't think it is. I think we should not dismiss research, but Also, just kind of take it and say, okay, what can I glean from this as an opportunity to reflect on my own teaching? And then on the flip side, for researchers to do the same thing, that you put it out there, and it's not necessarily going to be every single learner in every single situation because our control groups are not necessarily going to reflect what individual teachers have in their classrooms. That aside now, so I think we could sort of end up with the, oh, so use the research if it seems useful and don't use it if it's not and publish your research and some teachers might use it and some might not. And we could totally just leave it there. Like that's okay, good. We're all happy with that. That's the teacher-researcher dynamic. 
to some degree. But I will put out there that there are some fundamentals that we can all agree on. Whether you're doing research or whether you are a classroom teacher of language, there are some fundamentals that regardless of what research studies are, they are coming to certain conclusions. Maybe not the very precise exact conclusions of an individual study, but generally. And they're also the goals we have in our classroom. So we actually are supporting each other. So there are some fundamentals we can agree on in the research and in the classroom. And one of those things, I'm actually going to break this down into three quick little areas. The first thing is this idea of interlanguage. Now, this goes back to the early 70s when Selinker first put it out there um, in this theory of interlanguage, which is this idea that as soon as you start learning an L2, a second language, that the language you begin to speak is your interlanguage. It's no longer your first language, and it's not highly proficiently your second language. It's your interlanguage. And on that interlanguage journey or continuum, that there are some things that can be noticed about it. It's dynamic. No two people are going to be exactly in the same place at the same time. If you have students in the classroom, you're going to have, if you have 25 kids in your room, you're going to have possibly 25 different places on that interlanguage continuum. So it is dynamic. So assessing all exactly the same discrete skills is not necessarily where we want to go with that. That when students are learners are creating language through this interlanguage process, that it is basically a subconscious process of rules being formed. And what happens is you start to overgeneralize those rules. Now, the rules are not necessarily accurate, not highly proficiently natively accurate to the language, but they are starting to form rules. And as you're going along, you'll have some first language Lang, uh, first, some structures of the first language that show up and the second language that show up. So that whole idea of interlanguage, that it's this subconscious process, rules are being formed, and even though they're being formed as rules and you're following them, they're not necessarily accurate. That's something that's very much agreed upon. The second thing is along with that sort of uh, that acquired language that's happening on a subconscious level, um, if we look to Dr. Bill Van Patten, um, he will remind us that acquired language does not look like rules and charts that you find in a textbook with verb forms or any kind of charts like that. So keeping in mind that through that whole interlanguage process, it's subconscious, it doesn't look like what's happening in rules and charts in books, and that we want to then respect the developmental nature of language. You know, language is going to happen in its own subconscious process. So all, what we want to do as teachers is to help with input along that process. But again, it's a largely subconscious thing that's going on. So we start with the interlanguage. That is a generally agreed upon idea, regardless of research or teachers, and that acquired language does not look like rules and charts in books, which is what Dr. Bill Van Patten uh, really posits a lot in what he speaks about and writes about. And then the idea of proficiency. 
So proficiency, the way I like to put it out there, is that it's what you can do with the language and not what you know about the language. So that's kind of what we agree is proficiency. So if you're an intermediate low, it's what you can do with language when you can speak in discrete sentences. So that's what proficiency is. And we generally all agree that proficiency is about what you can do with the language and not discrete facts you know about the language, like what the measure words are or how to agree an adjective. And then to use the actual words of actful when it comes to using the language, and these are the actual actful words, in classrooms that feature maximum target language use, Instructors use a variety of strategies to facilitate comprehension and support meaning-making. So that is the whole idea of comprehensible input. So these four major topics are things that we as teachers and researchers can generally agree on. Interlanguage is this subconscious process of rule formation that it does not look like what's uh, often seen in textbooks with charts and rules, and that we are focusing on what students can do with the language, not what they know about the language, and that we want to facilitate comprehension so that students can make meaning with the language. So whatever research studies come out with, they're generally going to keep proving those general points. They might prove some other things based on certain control groups they had, but those are the general points we're going to come back to. And if you listen to episode four, where I talked about what communicative language teaching is, uh, you will see that this resonates a lot with what communicative language teaching is. So you might want to go back and listen to that episode, um, episode four, which will be linked in the show notes. Um, and communicative language teaching is all about creating with language, communicating messages, and staying student-centered. But again, those four kind of agreed-upon areas are also going to be part of the communicative classroom. So... Uh, there's a, a lot of uh, kind of details that I went through as we were going through the, the different areas there. So in the show notes, uh, you are going to see links to a couple of the things that will help you. Um, there's a link to the Motivated Classroom podcast. That's Liam Printer's podcast. So if you want to go and listen to that episode with uh, Dr. Florencia Henshaw, um, then you can sort of hear her own words and talking about getting into the research. And um, and if you're listening to this right now, Dr. Henshaw, which I hope you are, I'm really hoping to get you on the podcast on this podcast um, really soon as well. Um, I'm also putting a link to her Twitter account where you can follow her and her YouTube channel where she goes through the research studies and the videos. There's sort of eight to 12 minutes and really well done to help you understand them and make them applicable in your classroom. Maris Hawkins' Twitter is also going to be there because she um, is one of the, she's the co-author of that book with uh, Dr. Henshaw, the Common Ground book that'll be coming out. And I'm also putting a blog on my own blog post on intralanguage because uh, that's might be a new kind of topic theory that you're hearing about. So you might want to read a little bit more about that. And then I'm also going to link in the actful language about facilitating target language use that I referenced. So 
Going back uh, just to look at this dynamic of the teacher and the researcher that we have so much to learn from each other, but we have to understand that we have different experiences with students and we're coming from different places, but we can find that, I guess, common ground, I'll use their book title, that common ground, that common understanding that the research that's coming out is sort of proving the things that we generally agree upon and it's just helping us to go deeper in some places. So as you hear about different studies, use it as an opportunity to think about and reflect on your teaching and how it might work with your own students and understanding that it might have been done with a different group of students, but that's going to be a maybe a challenging experience for you and you'll look into other areas, but use it if nothing else has an opportunity to reflect on like your beliefs about language and what that means for you. And on the other end, uh, I appreciate all the work that researchers do and always looking for ways to take the research and say, how is this going to be applicable in a classroom of 27 15-year-olds in a high school, you know, and so it's not just staying in the realm of research, but also making it applicable, you know, so we can kind of help each other out on both ends with that. But just keep in mind also those common, those common understandings, those common fundamentals that we all agree on, and we can continue supporting each other with that. So make sure you check out the show notes. You can see links to all those things I mentioned earlier, and you'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, which is my weekly newsletter with tips and tools for language teaching. Hope that was useful for you, and I will talk to you again real soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.